Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. Welcome to our virtual HOA Academy, Secrets to Running Effective Board Meetings and Annual Meetings. Uh, We are giving you this class today in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I am the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've enjoyed representing HOAs and condominiums for the past 26 years. Can't believe it's been that long. My firm currently represents over a thousand planned communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. I also currently serve on my HOA board and I have for many years. Before we get started, I'd like to start off by getting a feel for who's in our audience today so I can tailor the information to best serve you. Uh, We're gonna be launching two polls at the same time now on your screen. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, we ask that you just put the answer in the comment section. So the first poll question is in which city do you reside? And we list all the different cities um, in Arizona um, that may be tuning in here today. And then the second poll question is, let us know your current role with your HOA or condominium. Are you a board member? Are you a interested homeowner? Or are you a community manager or other? And we're gonna be putting up these poll results here in just a minute. Um, But while we're waiting for those to come in, let's talk a little bit about what we're gonna be discussing today in this class. First, we're going to be talking about um, what's going on in the Arizona legislature right now. We're going to talk in depth about four bills or five bills that look like they're moving forward this year. And then we're also going to continue forward and talk during this class about, um, you know, how to run an effective board meeting and how to run effective annual meetings. And as always, there's going to be a free Q&A at the end of this class. And so we encourage you to submit all your questions throughout the time that we're during the presentation via the Q&A box on Zoom or in the comments section on Facebook Live. And I make sure that I'll stay online until I answer every single question that's been submitted today. But we do ask that you limit one question per person and be specific in your question as there, there won't be time for us to follow up if I don't fully understand your question. Okay, let's see who's in attendance here today. Right now we have, uh, in terms of which city do you reside in, we have 3% of you are from Chandler, 8% from Glendale, 5% from Goodyear, 13% from Mesa, 10% from Peoria, 27% from Phoenix, 27% from Scottsdale, and 5% from Surprise. Let's see, we'll keep going, and 2% from Tempe. So really great representation of everybody that we are, um, you know, the classes are being tailored to all these different cities. Really great participation from um, all the cities here today. Um, The next question is, the poll question is, what is your current role with the association? Um, 76 of you are board members, so welcome. Um, I understand your plight Um, as a board member. Like I said, I've served as a board member. Um, 3% are community managers and 18% are community homeowners, and then other would be 3%. 3%. So we're really strong representation today for um, board members um, in, in the different communities, also interested homeowners, and then community managers as well. So thank you everybody for being with us here today. We have a hun- over 100 people here on Zoom, 
over 107 people joining us here on Zoom. And we also have a number of people joining us on Facebook Live. Um, so what a great turnout for today. Thanks for being here. Before we get started, I just want to say that I'd like to dedicate this class to my sweet mom, Judy Mulcahy, who um, recently passed away. And I was at her funeral yesterday in Wisconsin, made it back today home so I could do this class. She would have wanted me to do that. And so I'd like to just dedicate this class to her. Okay, let's talk about what's going on in the Arizona legislature. It's open and it's a dangerous time, frankly. <laughs> but, you know, whenever we're at this midpoint, the Arizona legislature, we're seeing a lot of different bills that can positively and negatively impact our community, our communities in Arizona. So as you know, our legislative session um, started on Monday, January 9th. We've seen 18 bills introduced um, regarding HOE and condominium topics, um, and really a wide variety of topics this year. Flags, home-based businesses, lots of bills on short-term rentals, solar panels, water-saving devices, annual meetings, indemnification of board members, requests to review books and records of an association, insurance, parking on streets, referendums, and political activities. That's a lot of different bills in one year. Uh, more than we've seen, well, we had two pandemic years really in 2020 and 21. Last year, we had a big year in terms of bills that were introduced. This year, the interesting thing that I would say is there's such a diversity of topics on bills that are being introduced to further regulate or clarify things in HOAs and condominiums. Okay, there's only four bills that we have our radar on right now. Um, and those four bills um, I'm going to talk about today. And I think it's important to understand that, okay, while there have been 18 bills that have been introduced, um, 14 of those bills are not moving out of committee. And based upon my quarter of a century of working in this area, I can tell you that if they haven't moved out of committee yet, typically what will happen is they're not probably going to go anywhere. Um, and so you know, we'll keep an eye on them still, those 14 bills, but the ones that I'm really carefully watching right now and I have my uh, target on, my bullseye on are these four. Okay, so interestingly, like this is kind of a crazy bill. I can't even believe this is the one that's moving forward, but it deals with flags and the Betsy Ross flag. Senate Bill 1049, this bill would make it so that an association cannot ban any historic version of the American flag, including the Betsy Ross flag without regard to how the stripes and stars and stripes are arranged on the flag. This bill applies to both planned communities and condominiums. So kind of an unusual bill, in my opinion, um, to see that moving forward so quickly. The next bill is Senate Bill 1162. Um, this talks about home-based businesses, uh, restrictions, and prohibitions. This bill would make a home-based business, um, you know, should be allowed to use by right um, if the home-based business does not supersede any deed restriction, covenant, or agreement restricting the use of the land, a master deed, or any other document applicable to a common interest ownership community. So basically, home-based home -based businesses are allowed as a right unless um, there's something in your documents that would you know, prohibit that type of a home-based business. A county may not prohibit a no-impact home-based business or require a person to apply for, register, or obtain a permit, license, or variance, or other type of prior county approval to operate a no-impact home-based business. So I don't know how the cities, towns, and municipalities feel about that. 
I think they probably aren't going to be in favor of that, but I would, I'd have to hear from them um, because there has to be some sort of regulation in terms of permitting, et cetera, but maybe they'll be okay with it. We'll have to hear more. Um, a county may establish reasonable regulations on a home-based business if the regulations are narrowly tailored for the following purposes, protecting public health and safety, limiting or prohibiting the use of a home-based business for the purposes of maintaining a structured, sober living home, selling illegal drugs or liquor, pornography, obscenity, nude or topless dancing, or other adult-oriented businesses. I mean, you have to kind of laugh here, right? We're going from the Betsy Ross flag in one bill, and now we're going to, you know, all these crazy topics with these home-based businesses. So this is going to be one to watch. You know, Betsy Ross flag isn't going to be one that, in my opinion, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to get people fired up. This home-based business bill, I think, is something we really do need to keep an eye on because it's going to free up the ability of owners to you know, have no impact home-based businesses, which, you know, is good, but it also could lead to problems with parking and how do we define no impact and noise and smell. And so we'll really have to kind of think this through and we'll continue to monitor it. And if it's getting closer to passing and we're opposed to the language at the point, we'll be sure to let all of our clients and everybody know on social media and through these classes just what our interpretation of it, it is and whether or not we think it's going to positively or negatively impact um, HOAs and condos. The next bill is House Bill 2298, Planned Community Authority, Public Roadways. Um, this bill is kind of like what I would call a correction bill. There was a bill that was passed many years ago, like 2014, and it talked about the ability to park on streets that are located within an HOA that are dedicated to the public and the ability to regulate that um, after the CCNRs are recorded. So it's kind of confusing the way that this bill was initially drafted in, you know, back in 2014. And so this bill is kind of going to tighten it up and make it easier for everybody to understand. So this bill requires any planned community whose declaration was recorded before January 1st, 2015. And that planned community has to regulate any roadway for which the ownership has been dedicated to or is otherwise held by a governmental agency, that the existing regulations continue in effect until either of the following occurs. So no later, number one, no later than June 30th, 2025, the plan community has to have a vote of the membership on the question of whether to continue to regulate the public roadways. The number of owners voting at that on that question is sufficient to constitute a quorum of the membership and a majority of that number of votes to continue regulating public roadways can, you know, votes yes. The plan community retains its ability to regulate those public roadways. And then the board of directors is going to need to record in the office of the county recorder, you know, which the plan community is located a document confirming that they, the plan community can continue to regulate the public roadways. But if the vote in number, you know, the number one fails, the plan community or the plan community doesn't hold a vote of the membership regarding continued regulation of the public roadways, the plan community no longer has the authority to regulate the public roadways in a plan community and any existing regulations will expire. So this is a complicated bill. We probably could teach a whole class on this topic. Um, you know, here's the bottom line. If this bill passes and you are a planned community and your streets are dedicated to the public, meaning that the city, the city or the county or the town or the municipality 
um, you know, owns the streets and the association does not own the streets. And your association has the ability to regulate on street parking on these streets, even though you may not own them. You need to take action. By June 30th, 2025, you either have to have a vote of your membership to see if the association is going to continue to regulate these streets um, that are owned by the city, county, municipality, or you know, if you decide not to have a vote and you're one of these associations that fits in this category, you need to recognize that after you know June, June 30th, 2025, you're no longer going to be able to regulate parking on these city, town, municipality-owned streets. So this is complicated. So plan communities, you need to keep um, your antenna up on this bill. If you have um, streets in your community and they are owned or dedicated to your city, town, municipality, or county. Okay, the last bill we're going to talk about is political activity. Um, another very hot topic since the pandemic. Um, this is House Bill 2301, Homeowners Association's Political Activity. This bill would prevent an association from restricting an owner from conducting door-to-door -door political activity, including solicitation of support or opposition regarding candidate or ballot issues, and may not prohibit a unit owner from circulating political petitions including candidate nomination petitions or petitions in support or an opposition to an initiative, referendum or recall or other political issue. So this bill applies to condominiums and to planned communities, and it would prevent you know, an association from prohibiting door-to-door -door political activity, circulating petitions, talking about candidates, discussing topics, such as referendums, recalls, or any other political issues. So basically, it's kind of opening the door of a community to these outside activities coming into your community, and the association wouldn't be able to prohibit that. That's an unusual bill. It's so interesting, of course, that you know the legislature is, is making these rules for associations, planned communities, and condominiums. And if I had to guess, I mean, I'm just been doing this 25 years, I'm pretty sure that most residents that live in an HOA or a condominium don't really want people knocking on their door from sunrise to sunset every day on these topics. So it's really important to hear feedback on this. You know, and if anybody has feedback on this right now, I sure would love to hear it. So put it in the, the chat on Zoom or give me your thoughts on this if you're listening in on Facebook Live, because you know, my impression of this is that you know, some of these bills. A lot of you that are listening in here today, the 75% of you that are board members and you know the percentage of you that are homeowners that live in associations that are not board members, I kind of have a feeling that you're not going to be real happy about the political activity bill that we're seeing here today. And then also about opening the doors to have businesses being run out of homes um, within you know communities. So we'll just have to kind of keep an eye on these bills. And I'll be interested to hear your feedback after I finish teaching today. I, I will be sure to, you know, maybe even at the conclusion, if any of you take the time to put something in, in the comment box or the chat box, I maybe can summarize what some of your um, thoughts were on these two bills. Okay. We now have 119 attendees on Zoom. Oh, wow. Um, I'm glad I came back late last night from Wisconsin um, to be here for this class because we have such a good turnout. Okay, each week that the Arizona legislature is in session, our firm posts an updated summary of the pending HOA and condominium bills that are pending right now in the Arizona legislature. You can find this weekly updated summary on the homepage of our firm's webpage 
at www.mulcahylawfirm.com. We update that every single week with current status on the bills, any new bills that might be introduced, changes in the bills. We are very dialed into what's going on in the Arizona legislature, and we're closely following what's going to happen this year pertaining to HRAs and condominiums. And you have my word that we will continue to update you through these classes and through our legislative summary that we post on the homepage of our website every week, updating you with information on this. And then, of course, at the end of the legislative session, um, we always do a great cheat sheet summary of everything that actually does pass. Um, And we do that shortly after the legislature closes for... um, the year and when we'll be doing that again in 2023. Okay, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about our main topic for today's discussion. We're talking about meetings, board meetings and annual meetings. And I'm going to be giving you tips from the trenches on how we can effectively run our board meetings and um, how we can deal with conflict at these board meetings if you seem to have a problem with that. Um, And also, we're going to talk about annual meetings because we're kind of in that little annual meeting time period now. Um, Back when I was going personally to a lot of annual meetings, um, you know, I I now attend virtually um, to almost all the meetings. I would say almost all of my clients now are requesting just to save costs that we just appear via Zoom. And I love it, too, because I can help more people and attend multiple meetings in a night and still tuck my kids into bed at night. So that's a nice perk for me too. But how to run these virtual meetings is a topic that I think we we definitely will be discussing today because a lot of you have adapted to that. And then how to have that successful annual meeting um, each year, because that's your one time to give an update to all of your owners. And that seems to be the most heavily attended meeting that membership has every year. Okay, let's see. Well, first, I want to mention that we have a couple of cheat sheets that I think will be really helpful for you um, if you want a deep dive on running um, a regular board meeting. So we have a cheat sheet called Community Association Board Meetings, and then also um, how to conduct successful annual meetings. Um, and we're going to be sharing that with you here today on Zoom and also on Facebook Live. You can also find a copy of these on our website um, at any time. So you know, go to our website page, mulcahylawfirm.com, click on cheat sheets, and you'll see a plethora of topics. There's multiple ones on running board meetings. Okay, so how do we have an effective board meeting? I've been going to attending board meetings as a board member for 14 years. I have been attending board meetings as a lawyer that practices in the area of representing associations for 26 years. I know a good board meeting when I see it, right? And what I want to do today is give you the formula on how you can set yourself up to be successful at your board meetings. And why is that important? It's important because board meetings is where you get things done, where you make decisions that are going to positively impact your community. It gives owners an opportunity to hear about what's going on in the association, how the money's being spent, the problems we're facing. Um, the improvements that we're planning. And so one of the first key ingredients of having a successful association overall is mastering this regular board meeting and being effective at the regular board meeting. So it's really important. Um, And so it all starts out really with proper planning. The planning process for a regular board meeting takes a little bit of time. 
but it ultimately is going to lead to a better informed and prepared board and a smoother meeting. Um, and so really the, the way to, to plan it out is several days before the board meeting, um, the community manager or whoever yourself manage, maybe the secretary or the president, you know, they prepare and distribute a board packet several days before the meeting to all the board members. And the board packet is going to include minutes from the previous board meeting because you're going to be voting to approve those. Financial information, such as bank statements, um, a financial statement, um, maybe a check register, year-to-date budget, committee information. If there's any information, if you have committees in your association and there's something that's an important update, um, that will be placed in the board packet. The manager's report will be in the board packet. The treasurer's report. Um, the association correspondence. Maybe you have homeowners who have sent in a letter to the owner, to the board, and um, you know their response on an issue or they're upset about something. That will be included in the board packet. Also, if the association has sent any correspondence to an owner, that typically may be in the board packet. If you're a really large association and there's too many letters to be included, maybe a summary is given, like a delinquency report or a collections report. And most importantly, the meeting agenda. Um, And that is, you know, it should be, the packet should be arranged chronologically. So the agenda should be on top. Then the meeting minutes from the prior meeting. Um, And then however the agenda is structured, all of the supporting documents should be in order. Um, And if you have a lot, this is a big thick packet like this, um, you'll want to have separations in color, like a colored page separating, like a pink, light pink sheet separating or light blue sheet separating each topic. So it's easy to navigate the board packet or maybe even tabs so that you can move through the packet quickly. Let's talk a little bit about the agenda because the agenda is the roadmap to have a really good board meeting. And so it's really important, you know, about 10 days before the board meeting, the board president and the manager you should be starting to work on the agenda for the next board meeting. A properly planned agenda is going to provide organization and will shorten the length of meetings. Um, Again, the the agenda is the backbone of the board packet and should include enough detail to help board members prepare for the meeting. Um, I suggest that the agenda contain the following information. So the name of the association, the type of the meeting it's going to be like a regular board meeting or a special board meeting, the date of the meeting, what time it starts, approval of the previous meeting minutes, officer reports, committee reports, manager's report, treasurer's report, like we said. Here's the the secret recipe on the agenda. So I hope everybody's going to listen to this because it's important. When you do your agenda, put benchmark times on the agenda. So let's say that your meeting is starting at 7 p.m. You'll want to put, you know, meeting you know, establishment of quorum at 7 p.m. And then, you know, maybe from 7.02 to 7.05, approval of last month's meeting minutes. And then from 7.05 to 7.10 or 7.15, maybe you um, have the officer reports or you have the treasurer's report or, you know, whatever it is. And then the manager's report is from 7.20 to 7.30, and then from 7.30 to 7.40 is going to be committee reports. Um, And set up the benchmark times on the agenda. And then the board president should stick to those times. And that's really one of the first tips that I'm going to give you to have a successful 
short board meeting. Um, and it will help you stay on, a, on the agenda. It'll help you make decisions quickly. It'll help you in that the board members are going to realize, hey, we only have three minutes to approve last month's meeting minutes. We better read those when we get the board packet delivered to us. Because when we come to the meeting, it's game time. It's time to participate and play. You know, we're not warming up during game time, right? And part of the game time is being ready to make decisions, being ready to go into the game and do what you need to do. And so it's really important that you come to the meeting prepared and that the board president navigate the meeting with those timed agendas in place. And that's going to get you the one hour board meeting, which really is what you should be aiming for. Board meetings should not last more than an hour. And if they do, if you do have two and three hour board meetings, um, what's going to happen is people are going to get burned out and they're not going to want to serve on the board anymore. Um, I know the years on my board where I've served as a board member, where we had long board meetings for the entire year, I am going to tell you right up, straight up right here, I wanted to quit the board because I'm busy. I have children. I have a full-time job. I don't want to sit in a board meeting for three or four hours every month. It's too long and it's unnecessary. So having those benchmark times on the agenda keeps everybody on track. And also it helps you move to the next item on the agenda if you can't make a decision. So after 10 minutes of discussing something, you know, as per the timed agenda, if you're not moving off of that and you can't, you know, make a decision to move forward and hire the landscaper or whatever the issue is, the board president should say, okay, let's table this issue and we'll come back to it again next month. We need to move on according to our timed agenda. Okay. Another important thing as you're planning for your regular board meetings is providing notice. So Arizona law has very specific notice requirements for regular board meetings. Um, and those are all listed in the Arizona open meeting law. And under Arizona law, regardless of any provision to the contrary in the association's documents, um, notice to the logger unit owners of a regular monthly meeting of the board when it's post-developer control must be given at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting. And it can be done by newsletter, conspicuous posting, or any other reasonable means as determined by the board. Um, the notice of the meeting has to have the date, time, and location of the meeting listed in the notice. And the notice of any board meeting must state the purpose for which the meeting is called. Our firm also suggests that you provide a detailed agenda with the notice to meet this requirement. So the key thing here is we've got to give notice to the membership at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting. There needs to be all the information that an owner would need to have should be listed on the notice. So if your association is conducting virtual meetings right now, you need to have that Zoom link or the whatever the platform you're using that information on there. Um, if you're having a hybrid, you can say it's in person at the clubhouse and there'll be an opportunity to join by Zoom if you so choose and here's the link. One thing that I kind of don't like that I do sometimes see managers do when they put the notice together, they say something like, if you want to join the meeting by Zoom, contact the manager to get the information. Well, okay. Come on, like we all know that somebody doesn't decide to join or not join until one minute before the Zoom meeting starting, right? And if they're trying to contact the manager one minute before, the manager is not going to be able to respond in time. 
So if you see language like that, um, to me, that's always a warning sign to me that it's almost like they don't want people to attend the meetings. Um, And that's not the message we should be giving to our owners. We should be giving the message of being transparent. We want you to attend so you can hear about how hard we're working to make our community better. And I think that's the approach that we should be taking. Hey, we're transparent. We want you to come. And here's the information. Join anytime you can. Um, Remember, if you have to have an emergency board meeting, they do not require 48 hours notice of the board meeting if it's an emergency. But emergency meetings really only can be conducted if the decision can't wait 48 hours to notice it. So, you know, emergency meetings can't be like loosely defined. Emergency meetings are are something that you know it when you see it. It's you can't wait 48 hours to have it. The decision needs to be made now. And, you know, that's probably the best way to to define it. You know, firing a management company is probably not an emergency meeting. And you want to be really careful about something like that because you want the homeowners to hear the reasons why you're making a change on a vendor. And if it's an emergency meeting, they they don't have the opportunity to be there. Um, And remember, just kind of a, a side point here, if you are having an emergency meeting, you need to take minutes. And those minutes need to be read into the record at the next regularly scheduled open board meeting so that there's a good paper trail in terms of what happened, why the decision was an emergency, and what exactly happened at the emergency meeting. Okay, let's talk a little bit about having your board meeting in a business environment. First, state law requires that all meetings of the association and the board must be held in the state of Arizona. Um, You need to have it in a neutral location would be my recommendation and conduct meetings in an environment that enhances productivity. So like at the clubhouse, the management company's conference room, a rented room at a school, church, or restaurant, on a platform that's easy for your owners to navigate like Zoom or WebEx or something like that. Select a location that's going to prevent discord or people feeling uncomfortable. Prohibit smoking and alcohol at board meetings. And remind the board members to bring your board packet to the board meeting because you need that to make the decisions. And also bring your association documents to the board meeting. At least one board member should do that in case you have any questions about what the documents say when you're actually at that meeting. A question that I get frequently is, what about homeowners that come to a board meeting? Are they entitled to have a copy of the board packet too? You know, no, they're not. They are entitled, anybody who comes to a board meeting that's an owner is entitled to get a copy of the agenda. And that agenda is provided, you know, you can either share it on Zoom. At the meeting, it really should go out with the notice that's best practices. My suggestion is when the notice of the meeting is sent out that the agenda be attached to that as best practices. But if they show up on Zoom or if they show up um, in person, We also should be screen sharing and having a stack of them for in-person meetings so that people can follow along at the meeting. Okay, what are some tips for running effective, efficient, and productive board meetings? Well, first, let's talk about the open meeting law. So Arizona has a special open meeting law that applies just to HOAs and condominiums. It's different than the law that applies to school boards. It's different than the law that applies to city council. is our own special HOA condo open meeting law. And here's what the law says. It says that under Arizona law, all meetings of an association 
board of directors, and regularly scheduled committee meetings are required to be open to all association members and their representatives or, or their representatives who have been designed as such in writing. And as we already said, in all meetings of an HOA or condominium need to be held in the state of Arizona. Members or their designated representatives are allowed to speak at an appropriate time during the deliberations and proceedings of all open meetings of the association, board meetings, and regularly scheduled committee meetings. Association boards are required to permit members to speak once after the board has discussed a specific agenda item and at an open board meeting, but before the board takes formal action on an item in addition to any other opportunities that might be given to the owners to speak. Okay, so here's the 411 quick summary on the open meeting law. Anytime you have a quorum of the board meeting to discuss association business, it's an open meeting, right? And that means you have to get the notice of the meeting. You have to provide an agenda once they get to the meeting to the owners under Arizona law. The meeting has to be held in Arizona. It's kind of tricky with the virtual meetings, but as long as people are given the opportunity to attend virtually, I think that that is a sufficient. Anybody, wherever they are, I think that's sufficient to meet that requirement. When are members allowed to speak at a board meeting? Remember, this is the board meeting. This isn't you know necessarily a member's time. That's going to be the annual meeting, right? So when can members speak at a board meeting? So under most associations, you know, what they do is they have what we call a homeowner forum at the beginning of the meeting. And for 10 minutes, the homeowners are allowed to, you know, maybe you give each homeowner 30 seconds or each homeowner a minute or two minutes, depending on how many people are there. And basically what you allow is they can make a comment on anything. And so they have this homeowner forum where owners are allowed to make comments to the board. That's recommended best practices is what I would say. Now there's mandated, state law mandated times when owners are allowed to talk during a board meeting. And that would be before the board takes formal action on something. And how this typically will work is, let's give an example. So you have your approval of last month's meeting minutes. Somebody makes a motion, somebody seconds it on the board, and then we go into discussion. During the discussion time, any owner, if they so choose, can make a comment on the topic that's being discussed. The board can put a time limitation on it so that we don't have you know, excessively long meetings. So really how it works is anytime the board is taking formal action, what's the key to remember on that? Anytime there's a motion, a second, and now we're in discussion, owners should be allowed to make comments if they want to on that particular issue. Let's switch gears now and talk a little bit about executive session. Executive session is just the board and owners are not allowed to attend the executive session unless the board allows them to. Um, executive sessions typically take place at the end of the board meeting. And there's good reason for that because we don't want to ask board members or we don't want to ask owners to leave the meeting. Can you go in the hallway while we do our executive session and then come back in? For the rest of the meeting, that's not going to facilitate a happy relationship between the board and homeowners. So what I would recommend that you do is on your agenda and your notice that you send out on the regular board meeting, make it very clear. We're going to have the homeowner forum from blankety blank. The meeting is going to be, you know, during this time frame. And then after the board meeting, we are going to go into what we call executive session. 
And under Arizona law, you are required when you go into executive session for the board before you go into executive session to indicate which section under the law. And that's going to be 33-1801 if you're a planning community or 33-1248 if you are a condominium. Um, which section of the law under the executive sessions topics you will be discussing during that particular executive session. So what I recommend just kind of as best practices would be just to list all the different sections under these statutes, depending on whether you're a condo or planned community to say the board will be discussing all the sections under 33-1801 or 33-1248 pertaining to executive sessions. And that's kind of just a broad brush box checker. Let's talk about when you can go into executive session. There's only five topics that allow under Arizona law that allow the board to go into executive session. And they're kind of wordy and legalese, you know, so I hate to even go through the five topics, one by two, by three, by four, by five. There's a bottom line here. And the bottom line is the things that we go into executive session to talk about are legal advice from the attorney or the board or the association. So if I write an opinion letter, an opinion email, if a board member has a phone call with me, or if I'm actually at the meeting appearing, you can go into executive session to get legal advice from your attorney. The next topic that you we will see typically for executive session is if we're talking about pending litigation that's actually active litigation, or we're thinking about suing an owner for a violation of the documents. So anytime we have active litigation or we're thinking about suing an owner, that's a time we can go into executive session. You know, and this kind of covers delinquencies, violations of the association's documents. So owners who don't pay assessments. These are the most common topics that we go into executive session for. We also have the right to go into executive session to talk about job performance of, or compensation of, or complaints against vendors for the association, independent contractors, and employees of the board and the association. And also, lastly, any discussion of a unit owner or lot owner's appeal of any violation cited or penalty imposed by the association, except if the owner wants it pushed to the open session, which trust me, most owners don't want because they like to keep it confidential. So bottom line on executive sessions, you have to notice executive sessions. You can't just do it. It has to be on your notice. You can have an executive session only, but you have to notice it. Like I said, you have to list the section under the statute that you're going to be going into executive session for. Um, that's very important. That's part of the law. So your notice has to list which section you are going into executive session to discuss. And then there's only like five categories of information that you can actually discuss during executive session. Most common are advice from your attorney. If you're thinking about suing an owner or suing a vendor, or you are actually in active litigation with an owner or a vendor, um, you can go into executive session to talk about it, delinquencies, violations, problems with contractors, problems with employees. Remember that when you're hiring or firing an independent contractor or an employee, that needs to be done in the open session. That's not something that is done in the executive closed session. You can talk about how unhappy you are with a vendor or how unhappy you are with an employee in the confidential closed executive session. But when you actually go to, to get rid of them, fire them, it's in the it's in the open session. Um, remember, when you're in executive session, be really careful to 
you know, stay right in your lane where you need to be. Don't be going back to non-executive session topics. You are only allowed to talk about these five topics during the executive session. Okay. Some common questions that I get on regular board meetings. I think it's important that I kind of go over a few of them. Let's talk a little bit about informal board meetings. I get this question a lot. So our board's not making any decisions. The clients will say to me, we are just going into brainstorm or work up a budget or problem solve a, an issue, interview a vendor. You know, we're not making a decision. And therefore, we don't think we have to notice it as an open board meeting. Okay. The bottom line is, is that anytime a quorum of board is meeting to discuss association business, it's considered a board meeting and it needs to be properly noticed as previously stated, and you can't get around it. There's no loophole for having a meeting where you're not making a decision as board, just discussing something. There's no loophole for that. It has to be an open board meeting. Another thing that's kind of an interesting topic that comes up is can owners videotape or audio tape board meetings? So there's a specific section under the law that talks about that. And yes, the owners are allowed to videotape or audio tape board meetings. Um, the board has the right to pass rules regarding this under the law. Some associations opt to video or audio tape their board meetings. And if they do that, then they can prohibit individual owners from also doing it as long as they make the association's official video um, or audio recording of the meeting available to the membership to review as a records request. Let's see, what would be some other important things that I want to mention about running board meetings? Okay, let's talk a little bit about conflict because we see conflict a lot during board meetings. This is kind of like conflict central. And so let's talk a little bit about how do we handle that if we see conflict in a board meeting. Let's talk a little bit about homeowner conflict with the board. So if you have homeowner, a homeowner or homeowners who are upset about an issue, come to a board meeting. A couple of things that I would recommend would be to listen, give them a time period, a set time period, like one minute or two minutes. It could be in the homeowner forum or it could be at any point during the meeting. Give them a time period to express their concerns. Listen to what they have to say. Don't discard any comments that they make. Try to show empathy. I understand how you're feeling so frustrated. What can we do to make this better? You know, sometimes you just have somebody who is just totally unreasonable and nothing is going to make them happy. And that's a really frustrating position for the board to be in because it just, there's nothing you can't win. It's a very difficult situation. These people could even be you know, teetering over to being abusive. If you're in that situation, you've got to get our cheat sheet called Dealing with Difficult Owners because we give some great suggestions on how to best manage that situation. And just so you know, at least every association has at least one person like this. So you're not alone if you're one of those associations that is struggling with this issue. And it's okay when you're dealing with somebody who's unreasonable or who is never going to be happy to let them state their, their concern or their thoughts and then just leave it at that. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. And then don't say anything else. Because no matter what you say, sometimes with somebody like that, you can't win. So you don't have to counter everything. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to say you're wrong. Maybe you could say something along the lines of, 
let's say give an example. Let's say somebody comes to the board meeting and they say that they think that the treasurer is stealing money from the association or the manager is overcharging or whatever the issue is. You know, you don't really want to leave that without saying, you know, that's not accurate. But a nice way to handle it is, you know, we're carefully looking at all the records and the finances and carefully monitoring the manager. We respect, obviously, your viewpoint. And if you would make a records request to review the documentation that we are able to see as board members, you will see that everything is in order. So we encourage you to you know, make a records request so that you can also take a look at the same information that we have. A couple of things about moving the meeting along, you know, make sure if you want to have an hour board meeting, use the timed agenda, right? Adhere to the times on the agenda. And the president is the enforcer on that. The president has to be in control of the meeting and making sure that the meeting is moving along. Board members need to arrive on time and prepared to participate. That means that seal on the envelope for the board packet, that better be broken when you're walking into the meeting. That means you have looked, taken this out and read everything and looked at it. The board president is the team captain and they need to effectively start and guide the board meeting. Um, they are the ones that are, that person is the one that's dealing with difficult owners. They need to navigate any infighting on the board. And it's a lot of different hats for the president of an association. They have to have a special skill set that brings the team together so that you can actually get things done and, and make good decisions for your community. Keep the discussion focused on association business at these regular board meetings. Um, you want to avoid irrelevant side topics and gossip and you know, anything that doesn't pertain to the issues on the agenda. And then the one, the most important thing that I can say is I wish all managers would listen to this tip. If you want to have a good relationship with your board, present an issue to your board with a solution or solutions, right? There's nothing worse in the time that I've served on my board when we get a problem for our community and the manager just keeps bringing the problem to us and never helps us with a solution. If the problem is that, you know, there's an, an issue with the, you know, my association right now, we have an issue with parking of bikes. And so the issue is coming up because we have owners that are writing letters saying this is out of control. The electric bikes are out of control and all the bikes are parked in a really inefficient way. And we're hearing all this negative feedback on this issue. And then the managers are saying, oh, yeah, here, here's the problem. That's not working for me, right? What I want to hear is, okay, here's the problem and here are four possible ways to make this problem better. She's teeing it up for the board. Then we're like, oh, great. I like this one or I like this one. Otherwise, what happens is you get into this really bad cycle where the manager's giving you the problem and either it drops off the, the next agendas, the problem just lingers and festers, or, you know, then, or the other thing that I've seen too is, or the board has to now deal with the problem. So, but that's what we're hiring the manager to do, right? <laughs> then I'm up at 11.30, 12 a.m. in the morning, 1 a.m. in the morning, coming up with solutions for the bike issue. And that's not cool. Okay. That's not something that board members should be doing. That's something that the manager should be teeing up. Of course, the board can always add suggestions to what the manager is proposing. But the bottom line is, is that you're hiring the manager to support the board. And part of that agreement is that they're going to tee it up 
issues that come up and problems that come up with solutions. Okay, we talked a little bit about virtual meetings, about you know putting the, the notice in the notice, the um, requirements that so that owners can participate in the regular board meeting if they so want. Virtual meetings have definitely provided an opportunity for those that may not usually attend a board meeting or annual meeting to attend the meeting. And I think they're a great addition to HRAs and condos in um, the post-pandemic world. And so we're hearing from our clients that membership has increased and that people are overall happier having flexibility of meetings and not having to go in person. Also, I found that virtual meetings, for whatever reason, wrap up quicker, are less confrontational, and we seem to be getting more work done. And so just continue to think about that as a possible solution for your owners. Um, We have a great cheat sheet called Tips for Conducting Virtual Board Meetings, which I hope you will take a look at if you are interested in this topic. And... A couple more things on meetings that I just want to mention. We're try- I'm starting to see a number of management companies encouraging their boards to make decisions via unanimous written consent. Um, I would just like to say that our firm is not in favor of boards doing that. Um, there are two administrative law judge opinions in Arizona that say that doing that skirts the Arizona meeting law and Arizona open meeting law for HOAs and condos. And it's not allowable. And even if it's in your documents, the Arizona Open Meeting Law is not allowing for unanimous written consent. So we advise our clients against doing that. So be careful on that. The other thing I wanted to mention is using email. Be careful on using email to make votes or decisions by your board to discuss issues. A quorum of the board discussing an issue by email is definitely going to be a violation of the Open Meeting Law. The only time we recommend that clients use email is if you are sending out information like, here's the board packet, look forward to discussing it with you on Wednesday, or when can everybody meet to have our March board meeting? You know, and that's, that's fine. If everybody replies all on that, there's no content, you know, that we would need to have be an open meeting. Also, you can use email when you're in a true emergency. So if you have an emergency situation where a decision needs to be made and you can't wait that 48 hours to have, you know, give notice, what we recommend is that as many board members as you can get to make the decision either on a quick phone call or by email. That is okay under the law, in our opinion. Okay, let's kind of switch gears here and talk a little bit about regular meeting minutes on our cheat sheet board meetings that we shared with you already also can be found on our website. We have some great information on how to take perfectly proper meeting minutes. They should be short, should be what was done and decided, not every word that was said. So I encourage you to take a look at the cheat sheet on the flip side of our board meeting cheat sheet. It has some great information on how to take regular board meeting minutes. Okay, our last topic for today is annual meetings. Annual meetings are once a year. It's the time for the board to shine. And it gives an opportunity for an update to your community on positive things going on in the neighborhood, negative things, the financial situation, what our vision is for the next year, our goals for the next year, kind of a year in review type thing. So there's a lot of valuable information that's provided to the residents via the annual meeting. And that's just under Arizona law, you are required to have an annual meeting at least one time each year. 
remember that you have to have a quorum at the annual meeting to conduct your business. Um, and you should be establishing that quorum number well in advance of the meeting. And if you have trouble getting a quorum at your annual meeting, additional planning needs to be done so that you set yourself up for success. And we'll talk about that just in a minute here. Let's see. Having a, t a successful annual board meeting requires preparation, knowledge of your association's documents, organization, and then execution on the plan. And so what we really recommend is, let's say a lot of times managers get a new property, right? And one of the first things they should be doing is looking at the bylaws, thinking about when is the annual meeting? Is that something that I'm going to need to plan? Is that is game time for me? That is the time that I need to prepare the board to provide a really great annual update to their members. And so what we recommend to associations is that you determine when your annual meeting is supposed to be each year. It's usually in your bylaws. Back out dates in the calendar to make you successful for the annual meeting. So let's give an example. Let's say that you know your annual meeting is in December every year. You should start actually planning the annual meeting in like August, August or September at the absolute latest. Probably late July, August would be ideal. And, you know, there's a number of things that you're going to need to do. So you may need to establish a nominating committee. You may need to find candidates or you may need to send a letter to the membership saying, hey, we have two people, two positions open on our uh, board this year. And let us know if you're interested in serving on our board. Um, and oftentimes you have like a candidate biography that you ask them to fill out so that people can make a good decision on who they're electing to the board. Um, you also have to give notice of the annual meeting, and that needs to be done under Arizona law, not less than 10, nor more than 50 days in advance of the annual meeting. So you have to back that out too, in terms of, okay, we've got fine candidates, number one. Then we have to determine, okay, we've got to get the notice of the meeting, not more than 10 days, or not less than 10 days, and not more than 50 days. So now if we're looking at that December 15th annual meeting, that means that you know we have a, a time period that we can send out the notice. After you send out the notice, if you're seeing that you're not getting a lot of returned ballots, mail-in or absentee ballots returned, and you're worrying about getting a quorum, continue to remind your owners about the annual meeting. Send out a weekly or a couple times a week reminder, hey, we really need your ballot for the annual meeting. Make sure you return it. You know, you're going to have to come into the annual meeting. There's all kinds of steps here that your, your manager needs to be thinking about. And we have these are all deep dive outlined on our cheat sheet annual meetings, which we already shared with you. But you're going to need to reserve the room, of course, well in advance of the notice being sent out. You're going to need to consider, do you want to have some sort of a party at the annual meeting? A lot of associations have a social aspect to it where there's food and beverages and it's fun and people look forward to coming and seeing their neighbors. You'll want to come into the meeting with a whole packet of things that you need for the meeting, like formal tally sheets for counting the ballots, sign-in sheets to help log in the absentee ballots and to log in people who actually vote at the meeting so that we don't have people double voting. You'll also want to set up an efficient registration system prior to the member's arrival. So if you're a large association, you don't want to have one check-in desk. That's just not going to work. I mean, if you have one check-in desk works for associations that maybe are like 100 owners or less, 
if you have 3,000 honors, you better set this up like a, you know, a check-in to a conference, right? Where you have five tables, A to E, and then F to M, and then M to whatever. And then people just go right to their designated spot to check in. You also can have a greeter who's there and say, okay, if you've already returned your mail-in ballot, you don't need to check in. You can bypass this line and just go right into the meeting and start enjoying the, the refreshments. You'll want to have an accurate roster of owners because something that comes up a lot at annual meetings is that you know somebody shows up and they, they want to vote. And guess what? They're not actually listed as a record owner. Also, having internet access at an annual meeting is essential because you can get your laptop out. You can type in the person's name and see if there's a deed for that person for ownership in the association. Have a greeter at the door, like I said, to welcome guests and then move them into the right lines or bypass the line. Bring the governing documents because sometimes things come up at the annual meeting where we need to have the question answered. And it's nice to have those governing documents right there. Like, what's the quorum? I mean, obviously, before the annual meeting, you should already have mapped out what the quorum is. Um, so you know what your number is so that you can conduct business. Have a plan to have ample registration materials. Nothing worse than at an annual meeting. I mean, I've seen everything over the years. I've probably been to, I don't even know how many annual meetings, 5,000 at least. Um, and I've probably been to, I mean, gosh, I don't even know. It's thousands, high thousands, like 9,000 maybe board meetings. You know, nothing worse. And I've seen it all where you show up in the annual meeting and oops, the manager forgot to reserve the room. Been there, done that, seen that happen. Um, we actually pivoted and headed in the parking lot. But I mean, talk about starting at minus 50 in terms of credibility with your members. You're having the annual meeting, you know, in the parking lot without a table, not good. Um, having enough registration materials is another thing that's, you know, something you really have to be thinking about. I always tell my team, if I'm going to something, I want more materials than I think I need because I hate it when. I see, I walk into a room and maybe somebody told me, okay, there's going to be 50 people there. And then I see a hundred people because I'm thinking, oh no, now I've just disappointed people. I didn't bring enough handouts for them. So having enough registration materials for everybody, really important. Even if you mail them out, then the owners have extra copies there. Have a plan to distribute materials in an orderly fashion, whether they're on a check-in table or whatever. Have a plan if somebody wants to make a nomination from the floor to serve on the board. Is that allowable? Is that not allowable? Make sure that your annual meeting ballot is in compliant, compliance with what your documents state. If your documents call for secret ballot, you cannot use a ballot that has the owner's name or their unit number on it. And again, all of these issues should be pre-planned before you send out the ballot. Right. And so it's always a good idea to get your attorney involved to help you. Um, just take a look at what your annual meeting documents, what you're planning to send out, have them do a quick spin and check to make sure that everything that you're doing is consistent with the law and your documents. Okay. So, what are some tips on how the board can be a superstar or shine at your annual meeting? It's going to be your highest attended meeting for the association. And so, it's a really good idea to have your association's president speak at the beginning of the meeting, thanking everybody for attending, thoroughly go over the board's performance over the past year, go over future community plans, listen to feedback. This is really the only owner's meeting of the year. So if people are coming and saying, 
hey, there's problems at the pool or the bathrooms at the pool are really dirty. We need to hear that as board members and we need to let the owners know we were not aware of that, but we will look into this and we will correct that problem. And so important that the president take a leadership role at that meeting. You know, some other things that would be important for annual meetings, just the preparation, like I said, of course, just thinking about anything that can go wrong in advance of the meeting. It's kind of like planning a wedding, right? What possibly could go wrong? So do we have the ballot right? Do we, is the room reserved? Is there a nice presentation? A lot of associations use a PowerPoint presentation at the annual meeting with pictures of the community and you know bullet points on key aspects of the financials and key things that we achieved this year and problems that we have and how we're going to overcome those problems and our goals. Just making it like a really professional presentation from the moment that they get the ballot in the mail with the notice through attending the meeting when they get to the meeting if it's you know on Zoom that it's the right Zoom link if they're attending in person that it's an orderly meeting where there's not a line out the door where you have to wait an hour to get in um handing out the handouts effectively to doing a five-star presentation so people leave that meeting feeling good about the community and not upset and anxious about where things are going So I hope those are some good tips for you for running your board meetings and then also running your annual meetings each year. If any of you who are listening in today, and I cannot believe how many people we have here, I'm looking at right now, 113, it looks like on uh, Zoom, just know that we're a resource for you. Our website has cheat sheets on running regular board meetings and annual meetings. We're always here as a resource for you. Um, You can call our first Fridays, the first Friday of every month at 9 a.m. and ask a question if you don't understand something about your board meeting or you have a difficult donor or got a problem at your annual meeting and you don't know how to solve it. All of these resources are here for you so that you can be successful in running your board meetings and your annual meeting each year. Okay, at the beginning of the session, I asked you to give me your thoughts on a couple of these kind of bills that I wasn't certain as to whether or not the people that are listening in here today with diverse board members and homeowners, I wasn't sure how you were going to react to them. So we got some interesting comments. So one of the comments I have is on the two bills that I thought might be kind of difficult, the political activity bill, seems like we have a lot of questions on them. Like they don't understand the people that are listening in today, the questions that they're raising, is it safe to assume that this bill would not apply to state, federal, and local elections, but also to HOA board elections. Well, this year it was expanded to HOA elections. So I think it would apply to both. Again, this is just the proposed bill, right? This hasn't passed. Does this bill prevent literature drops by political parties? I don't think it does. I think you're going to be getting lots of mail, maybe even hanging on your door. Um, Would this proposed law include gated communities outside soliciting would be permitted? And again, this is a little bit different. This is a good question. It's a good distinction. If the community is gated, I don't believe that people are going to be able to enter. Um, I have to look more carefully at the the specifics of the law. But typically, this would be where it's just no gate that prevents third parties who have no association with the association from coming in. Okay, looks like we have 15 questions. So we're going to flip right over and switch into the questions that have been submitted here this morning. I'm sorry I'm about 11 minutes over, but we had a lot to cover. 
doing regular board meetings and annual meetings and talking about the legislature all at once, you know, is a lot. And we covered a lot of material today. So that's great. Um, we have 15 questions and I absolutely love my staff. They got me the biggest diet coat possible this morning because <laughs> they knew I, I was tired. So thank you to my great team, Callista and Morgan, for really having this class organized for me today. Okay, uh, question number one is from an association. Recently, the president of the board, who is also the head of the architectural committee, put forward a motion banning any homeowner from installing energy efficient windows. Some have bluish, greenish, smoky gray tint because they do not have the blue that fits the aesthetic of the community, but they have allowed the green and gray to remain on the approved list. These energy efficient windows are recommended in several states, including Arizona. Government has researched that blue windows have been proven to be the most energy efficient on the market. Does the HOA really have the right to ban homeowners from installing these proven energy efficient windows? You know, I guess this is a good, really good question. I'd have to see your documents, what specifically they say about them. I don't think that these windows are going to be considered like a solar energy device. So I don't believe that, you know, that, that solar law would apply saying we can't effectively prohibit solar energy devices. I don't think it's going to apply to these energy efficient windows. Here's my thought on this. If enough people complain about this to the legislature, here's what's going to happen. They're just going to pass a law saying that associations can't prevent energy efficient windows. Right now, I think they probably can based upon, you know, I'd have to look at their documents to see specific language on this and whether this is something that we could disapprove or not. But I think my inclination is without seeing the materials is that, yes, they can. The board can do this. But it's a slippery slope because if enough people start seeing this as a problem and they complain to the legislature, this would be the type of bill for sure that would come into play and the legislature will pass a bill saying associations cannot prohibit energy efficient windows. Um, the second question is from a board member. We just signed a new contract with a new property management company. This property management has an owner who will sign all association contracts approve all association invoices, issue all checks to vendors after receiving an email from the association president. The president will send this email after boards approve the bids and proposal. The new property management is saying we will see all contracts, invoices, and checks online. I'm the treasurer of the association and not feeling comfortable with the same person signing contracts, approving invoices, digitally signing the check, sending to the vendors. I agree. I want you to take a look at our cheat sheet called How to Prevent Theft and Fraud in Associations. I'm not saying that this is a case where, you know, the management company is overreaching or, you know, potentially embezzling from you. I'm not saying that at all. But you should take a look at that because having a lack of comfort here is normal because those type of things can happen. Here is what I would recommend. I'm guessing that the management company wants it this way because it's easier, right? It makes things run smoother. What I would recommend is that you fine tune this so that your comfort level goes up. And what I would recommend is like on a contracts, like association contracts. Like I think that is way overkill for the manager just to be handling all that. The board needs to look at it and the association's attorney needs to look at it to make sure that any contract you're signing is in the best interest of the association and that we have the most favorable terms. So delegating that just to the management company, that's not working for anybody. That's not a good idea. 
approving invoices, issuing checks to vendors. That's a little bit different. I think as long as there is checks and balances. So it sounds to me like there's a bid or a proposal that's sent to the president. The president sends it to the members on the board. And then apparently there's some kind of a vote, which worries me. And then those checks are, you know, the president gives authority to the management company to sign the checks. You know, what you you probably want to do is take a closer look at that. Like maybe you should put a dollar, maximum dollar amount on that. Like any regular checks that the we get in on a monthly basis, like gas, electric, pool company, landscaping company, maybe those are automatically paid by the management company. And after the president you know, okays it or the treasurer okays it, and really you're the treasurer, so you should be more involved in this for sure. You know, and then anything over, you know, a dollar amount, like anything that's over $500 or whatever, maybe you need two signatures from a board member or over $2,500. I know the management companies get so mad at me when I say this. And I mean, I actually had one management company call me and say, you know, how could you do this to us? You're pinning our hands behind our backs. And my comment back is, hey, I don't represent you. I represent the association and I need to protect the association. And I don't think giving you blank checks to sign without proper board oversight is a good idea. What I would suggest is that you find some sort of a happy medium here. Like maybe the regular invoices are paid without the board reviewing and and voting on it. Or maybe your board says, we do want to sign every check. And that's okay because you are the board members and the management company works for you. And if that's the way you want to handle it, that is okay. My association, actually, we sign all the checks with two signatures, every check. We're a smaller association, um, you know, less than 150 homes, but, you know, it's just something to think about. Okay, question number three. HOA board has convened a significant number of executive sessions, some of which include major financial decisions not permitted by the association's documents. The subject matter of such sessions is not usually disclosed and the extent the executive sessions are disclosed in advance to the extent they are actually disclosed in advance. Okay. The announcements just references the basic statute. The announcements do not reference any one of the five permitted subjects. Is this use of executive sessions improper? What is the most constructive way for a member to resolve the problem? Okay. So executive sessions. Good question. So they have to be noticed. The notice should state with particularity which sections or section the board is going to be discussing under the open meeting law in executive sessions. And just throwing the statute number on there isn't enough. You have to actually list the statute. Now, recognize this may not help you because they're just going to put five topics up there and there's no detail. Unfortunately, that is the nature of an executive session. And so it sounds like right now they're just... You're saying that what they put in the notice is just the, the basic statute. The announcements only reference the basic statute. Well, they need to list the sections that they're going to be discussing under the statute. And so they do have to reference them, which they're not doing right now, apparently. You know, so noticing the meeting and then referencing the specific sections, that would be the pivot that I would be recommending to this board. Okay, question number four. Our ACC requires owners, or so our Architectural Control Committee requires owners to submit an approval form for work to be done. We are seeing multiple properties not filling out this form. Is it within our legal right to find these properties if they do not submit the form? 
for work that they are planning to complete or have completed. So yes, of course, if, if your documents require that application for approval be submitted in writing to the board for work to be done and the work that's being done falls into that category where they need an application, the board absolutely can find the owner after notice and an opportunity to be heard. You may want to escalate this and have an attorney send a letter. You may want to file a lawsuit. Next question, number five. On the open meeting law, the board is handling community business by email, which includes all board members and the management company. Is this a violation of the open meeting law? So by handling community business, if you mean making decisions outside of an open board meeting and it's not an emergency and it's not something like the examples I gave, like, hey, can the board meet you know, on the 17th to discuss the pool company? You know, it is a violation based on what you're telling me of the open meeting law. Okay, question six. We will be voting on a minor assessment increase. Do I need to call to do a roll call vote for something so important? We have seen voting members and will be on Zoom. Okay, so you're doing a minor assessment increase. You know, I don't know if this is a board vote that you're talking about or a homeowner vote. No, in that like the vote requires, according to your documents, to have a voter membership. So do you need a roll call vote? Typically, roll call votes are going to be for the board. You certainly can do a roll call vote. You know, and even after a vote's taken, I'm on two boards, actually, two HOA boards right now. And um, as a member, board member, and it, on one of the boards, there is one person who always says, I want a roll call vote. So and if somebody says that, then under Robert's Rules of Order, you should have each member vote, state their vote on the record. And then um, the minutes usually will reflect that it was a roll call vote and how each member voted. So you have the right to ask for that if you want that. Okay, question seven is from a board president. This is a question regarding elections at our annual meeting in March. Our documents allow a board from a size of three to nine. Currently, the board has five members, two of whom are not running. So there'll be three continuing members of the board. No one has self-nominated. So currently, no one is running. Our bylaws allow self-nomination from the floor, but are silent on the board filling vacancies not created by resignation. No one volunteers to run at the annual meeting since our documents are silent. Can the board appoint two members? I'd have to see your bylaws so I can answer that question to make sure I'm giving you the correct answer. But I mean, typically, if your board has bylaws that allow you to fill vacancies, if, if somebody resigns from the board, I'm guessing that that vacancy came up when somebody resigned, maybe it was three years ago or whatever. So it, it probably is something that your board can do. You just have to look carefully at the language and get an opinion from your attorney, you know, after looking at the actual language. But I, I'm hopeful that you're going to be able to get, um, be able to appoint people to the board. Okay, next question. In your tip sheet, responsibilities of the president and vice president. You mentioned governing documents to be familiar with. If I understand correctly, rules and regulations are created by the board, architectural guidelines, and they're regulated by the board. So rules are regulated by the board. Architectural guidelines are regulated by the ECC. Is that right? Do changes or updates to these documents require opportunity for public comment? If so, how do we properly notify the community that they can comment? Okay, good question. So typically the rules are promulgated or voted on by the board, the community, and the board enforces them. 
architectural guidelines, it's a little different. I mean, typically it just depends. Sometimes the board creates them, sometimes the committee, you know, makes additions to them, et cetera, after the board approves it, you know, they're valid, you know, so how do we handle this? So if there are changes to these documents, these changes really should be made during an open board meeting. And even the notice of the meeting should state, this is what we're planning on changing. So vote to amend you know, the bylaws or vote to amend the rules or the architectural control committee, you know, regulation. That's how you notify the owners that this is happening. You know, in some cases, if it's going to be like really extensive changes to the rules, the board on their own volition, even though they're not required to, unless their documents require them to do this, the board could just send something out to the community saying, we're making extensive changes to the rules. We want to give you time to get feedback. It would be unusual, but it's something that they could do. Okay, next question. The association, let's see. The association has their annual meeting coming up and we have a husband and wife that are both seeking positions on the board. Is this legal or allowed? Well, first things first, as somebody who's been married to somebody else for 22 years, my husband, I can tell you right now, it would not be a good thing if both of us were on the board together <laughs> because we are very different in how we handle things. Probably would end be not a good ending to a happy marriage. But sometimes I do see this work. It, there's a lot of things that would have to, to be right in order to have this come up and work. So number one, the bylaws would you know, have to not prohibit this. So typically the requirement to serve on the board is that you have to be a record owner, okay? And if both the husband and wife are listed as record owners on a property, um, or maybe they own two lots, and so they can represent lot one and lot two. If the documents don't prohibit this, then they can do it. Just because they can do it though, doesn't mean it's a good idea. In fact, in the past 25 years, 26 years that I've been representing associations, I have not one time seen this be a good thing. I've seen it for different reasons. Either they don't get along when they're on the board, or there's only three board members and the two are a quorum. So, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. We're violating the open meeting law like every minute of the day, right? When they're talking about association business at home when it's not noticed. It also creates kind of like a disparity of power on the board, um, which I think is a very bad thing for communities because it kind of can be like a pile-on thing. You know, you, you just walk into the meeting, you know, we always have two votes because they probably already talked about it at home. So is this legal? It, it possibly is legal if your documents don't prohibit it. Is it allowed? Possibly if your documents don't prohibit it. Is it a good idea? Never. Okay, next question. We have on the board a member that is always vocal. If them being vocal was regulated, it would be fine. However, this board member always interrupts a speaker to input their opinion. Is there anything that can be done to control this person? So it sounds like you have a board member that's a little bit of a problem. It's not corrected by the president. And I don't know, maybe this person is the president. That's always, that's an interesting dicey situation if that happens, but it sounds like it isn't because nobody's regulating it. Typically, the president would be the person that would ask them to not interrupt people and to you know, only talk when recognized by the chair if needed. Is there anything that can be done to control this person? I would look at my cheat sheet on dealing with difficult owners. I talk about board member conflict on that cheat sheet. 
I really think the president needs to step up and talk with this person and remind them that we appreciate their interest and their enthusiasm and their willingness to contribute. It needs to be done at appropriate times. Next question, number 11. Does the board packet get sent to committee members? Typically, no, unless the committee members are on the board too. Of course, the board can make the decision on that, though. They make the final call. I mean, then they could choose to give the committee members a packet. Question 12. Last year, we appointed two board positions that were vacant due to a lack of candidates. Would these appointments serve the two-year term or one-year term? We are having problems getting candidates. How do we attract candidates? Okay, this is like a bar exam. (laughs) This question's got a lot of issues going on. Okay, so I don't know how you appointed them. So you had two positions that you appointed last year, right? When you appointed them, what you should have done is said, hey, we're appointing Johnny Appleseed for the one-year term, and we're appointing Susie Q for the two-year term. Therefore, the minutes would reflect that and make it really easy to figure out. Some of the hardest problems I've dealt with in my legal career have been trying to untangle the terms of directors that are appointed, especially in highly dysfunctional ones, associations that have all kinds of turnover. I recently had one, an association where we just decided we got to start over. Like we have to, the next election, we need to set up new terms because we can't even figure it out. There was like a revolving door of directors. It's crazy. When you're appointing them, what you need to do is state in the minutes what's happening. Okay. Now, if you didn't do that, then hopefully you can get mutual agreement with Johnny Appleseed and Susie Q as to what term they had. And then at the very next board meeting, state in the record that Suzy Q has how many more time left on the term, you know, one year or whatever, or she's up for election in March or whatever, just try to get the paper trail on it with mutual agreement so that they don't come back and challenge it, sue us in the future because they thought they had a longer time on the board. Although I'm pretty sure anybody who's served on a board is never going to want the longer term. (laughs) You've got a chance to get the shorter term. I bet they take it. Okay, what about getting candidates? Our annual meeting cheat sheet has some great tips on how to get people to serve on the board, volunteer for the board, asking, sending out the notice, asking people to serve on the board and asking for them to submit a candidate bio. Who's coming to your meetings? Look and see if there's anybody who's reasonable and who would be a good addition for your community. Picking up the phone and asking people in the community, would you be willing to serve on the board? Um, I know when I was on my board and then I got off for about a decade and now I'm back on again. The first time they asked me after my break, will you serve on the board? I was kind of like, I don't know. I've got a lot going on. I'm not sure. And then they just kept calling me and I really did kind of get guilted into being back on the board. So follow up. They say no at first. Say, hey, can you keep an open mind about it? And can I check back in with you in a couple of days? And then just if you're calling them, be really nice and say, it's not that big of a commitment. Tie your hands behind your back once your fingers crossed. (laughs) Um, It's a lot of fun. Um, And think about all the good things that you're going to be doing for your community and how you can make positive change. If you cannot get any candidates, you should have our firm sends a letter to the entire community saying, listen, if we can't get enough people to have a quorum on the board, we're going to have to have the association put into a receivership. And that's going to negatively impact property values, and it's going to increase the assessment costs, et cetera. And that always gets people to serve on the board. Okay, question 13. 
is our HOA will be hosting the annual meeting of the members, and we have never achieved a supermajority to update our outdated CCNRs, which are in conflict with several Arizona state revised statutes and city ordinances. How do we best inform our members at the meeting that some clauses in our CCNRs are now unenforceable? And when we explain, is there an order of precedence when the superseded clause derives from the city or state? Okay, this is just a sticky wicket. I mean, you sounds like you've been trying to amend your CCNRs. You haven't been able to get the requisite percentage. You know, we how do we explain this to members that our CCNRs say one thing on how to, or our bylaws say one thing on how to amend or how to um, remove a director from office, but state law supersedes it. I think you just have to tell them straight up, this is the situation. Maybe even the attorney has to put something in writing so that they can better understand why the documents are outdated and why the statute trumps the documents. I know it's confusing and, and more reason to try to get those outdated CCNRs updated. And I really would encourage you to look at our amending CCNRs, a five-step plan on the, the procedure that we suggest associations follow to get the requisite percentage that they need. It works. I have been fine-tuning that for a quarter of a century. And I'm confident that if you gave our firm a chance to help you with this, we might be able to help you get that super majority. Okay, next question, number 14. And it looks like we have 18 questions right now. Let me just double check. Yes, 18 questions. So we've got about five more questions. Can members see which members are delinquent on dues? So that's a really good question. I would say no. What I would do is give a delinquency list with the names redacted. So if, if an owner wants to see, you know, I want to see how many delinquent owners we have in the community. Um, they're entitled to, to get that information, but I would just redact the owner's names and unit numbers and lot numbers from that. So they would just see the number, but they wouldn't know it's Johnny Appleseed and lot one. Okay, question 15. How can a board meeting be kept brief when there is cleaning up or tidying up issues to be addressed and then resolved? Um, so I'm not really sure what you mean by this, but if, if we got a lot of issues, right? That's what I'm, I think what I'm hearing. And we need to resolve them. So I think the first thing that pops into my mind on this is your manager isn't coming to the meeting with suggestions on how to clean up or tidy up things that are going to work. And so there needs to be more planning for the meetings by the manager and maybe the president in terms of if you had a lot, if you have a lot of issues that need to be addressed, you need to tee it up in the agenda so that we can crank through things at this meeting and make decisions. And the way to do that is to have feasible solutions that will work for the association to address the issues. Okay, question 16, question on virtual board meetings. Have you seen issues with the chat feature on Zoom where homeowners have non-productive side conversations and use this forum to spread false information? Of course I have, because I've been doing this since the pandemic. So I have seen some crazy things on Zoom meetings. Although overall, I will say, and they've been way more civil than I have seen with the volume of in-person meetings that I've gone to in the past. So, okay. So the host can limit the chat on Zoom. I don't know about other platforms as well, because our firm really is exclusively kind of suggesting using Zoom. I mean, if, it's, if there's another platform someone wants me to join with, I certainly will. 
I'm most familiar with snow. And so you can totally have control over that situation by just going to the host, whoever the host is for the meeting and asking them to, to deactivate that, you know, and so you, that's a good suggestion. If it's a problem, that's one way to handle it. Question 17, we're down to our last two questions. We have not met quorum for our annual meeting for six years. What can we do? We cannot elect new board members because of the quorum. Okay, your association needs to get on a fast track to our firm to help you with this because six years, whoa, that's like, that's not good. So you need to change course. We need to come up with a better plan to get a quorum at your annual meeting. And I have got some suggestions for you because I have had other associations that have been in the same situation. And so what I would do if I were talking with you is I want to find out why. Why has there been a lack of participation? It might be pat on the shoulder that things are going so well that you know people just don't bother to come. They're, they don't have anything to complain about. But we need to make this next meeting that you have a high attendance meeting. And sometimes what we do is we have you go to your vendors and ask for gift cards. And we say that anyone who returns a gift card or anybody who returns a mail-in or absentee ballot will be placed in a drawing for free gift cards and make it big gift cards, like $100 gift cards, or pool together different combinations of gift cards. So, and, and truly, your management company, your landscaping company, your pool company, all these vendors should be willing to donate to something like this. So um, that way, it's kind of like a drawing. So if you return your absentee ballot, mail-in or absentee ballot, you go in a drawing and you have a one in 25 chance that you can win $500 gift card or whatever, you know, we ultimately get for for that. And that that works. That 100% works. You know, also look at our cheat sheet on annual meetings because we give some, some suggestions on how to increase attendance by having a party with it. And there's lots of things that you can do to try to increase attendance. It's not good that you haven't had a quorum for six years. As a matter of fact, it worries me. So you need to change your approach. It's not working, whatever you're doing, and you need to do like a total shift in your approach if you want to get a quorum this year. Okay, the last question for today. Are there any governmental requirements, such as Arizona statutes, et cetera, that require a condo association to adopt a balanced annual budget? Our board has approved a 2023 budget that has a built-in loss of around 15000 Okay, this is an issue that the state, the state of Arizona deals with all the time. I actually don't think I've ever had an association that approved a budget that wasn't balanced. So you really you need to figure out a way to balance that budget. And maybe you're going to be cutting out some expenses. Maybe you need to fine tune and increase your assessments more. But I mean, fortunately, 15 grand in the big scheme of things may not be that big of an amount. Now, if your budget is fifty thousand and fifteen thousand dollars is not balanced, well, yeah, that's a big deal. That's going to be like thirty percent of you know your budget. So we don't want that, and so and that's not going to work. You're, it's going to be many problems for you. So we need to take a closer look at that and decide how you're going to balance that. And I would vote to balance that with the new plan to balance it at your next board meeting. Okay, conclusion, just a few things before we end today. Thank you for being here first. Appreciate seeing you and, and participating. We had such a great participation today. So thank you very much, everyone, for being here. 
A few things to mention as we look ahead to the new year and several free learning opportunities that we're going to be providing in, in you know, throughout the rest of the first quarter and throughout the next three quarters of 2023. On Friday, March 3rd at 9 o'clock a.m., we're going to be having our next virtual First Friday free call-in where I'm going to answer HOA and condo legal questions live. Um, that'll be not this Friday, but next Friday. Additional details for that can be found on our website and questions can be submitted now through the morning of March 3rd at 8.45 a.m. Our website again is mulcahylawfirm.com. Don't forget to join us for our next meeting, our next Neighborhood Services Virtual Seminar on Tuesday, March 21st. Um, that's going to be before St. Patrick's Day, which is a bummer because that is my absolute favorite holiday of the entire year. Our class on March 21st is going to be talking about duties and responsibilities for board members and how to handle the burnout that sometimes comes along with serving on your board. So that's going to be a great class. I hope that you will consider tuning in with us because we're going to tell you all of the different things that you need to know in an hour about serving on your board so that your board is in compliance with the law and so that you don't have any liability. And then what to do if you're feeling a little burned out serving on your board. Lastly, I just wanted to say thanks again. We had 120 live viewers today on Zoom and over 20 plus live on Facebook. Wow. This is the biggest class that we have taught um, since the very dark early days of the pandemic where when everybody was home and I can't remember how many people we had live, but it was a crazy amount of people. Amazing that so many people are here today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for finding value in these classes. We're here to provide free information to you in a virtual platform so that you can make good decisions and follow the law in your respective associations. So great job for being here today. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you again in March for our first Fridays and our class number three um, in the virtual HOA Tondo Academy. I'd like to just thank again the different cities that we work with to create these classes. Appreciate working with you and enjoy our partnership. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Thank you again, and I'll see you again in March. Bye. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at mulcahylawfirm.com. They attend our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcasts to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content of these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.